Welcome to The City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. Inspiring to them, but also just challenging, because uh, it reminds us of the fact that, you know, legends of the faith exist outside of the Bible. Uh, there are people who, throughout history, who in the hands of God have accomplished great things. And, and so Galatians chapter, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, says it this way. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Turn to your neighbor and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Even if there's nothing wrong, you forgive. And if you're tense with your spouse or your significant other this morning, I just gave you a free pass. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this word. Thank you, God, for the time of worship. And I pray that we be changed and transformed by what you want to say to us today as we consider the life of another pioneer of the faith. I pray, God, that we'd be challenged by their story and also uh, that we would be inspired to give you our entire heart and life so that we too can become uh, all that you have created and called us to be. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The year was 1944, and, and the person we're considering today is Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if you've heard of Corey Ten Boom or if you've read her story in, in The Hiding Place. Uh, but 1944, the height of World War II, and this, this woman's a Dutch woman, uh, so from the Netherlands. And, and in 1940, uh, the Nazis had invaded the Netherlands, and they were at the height of exterminating millions upon millions of Jews at the time. And so we see this Dutch woman and her family, the Ten Boom family, which owned a watchmaking shop in uh, the city of Harlem, Netherlands. And, uh, and, and these are, this is a Christian family, a Christian woman, and they are gathering up the Jews and any other unwanted types of people in Netherlands, uh, and they are going to ex- take them to concentration camps and exterminate them. So we have the Ten Boom family who owns the watchmaking shop, and Corey Ten Boom, this woman, has an idea to create a secret room at the backside of her bedroom on the top floor of the building in which they live. They live in the same building as the watchmaking shop. And so they bring in brick and mortar and create this secret uh, room at the back of her bedroom with an entrance at the bottom of her closet. And in that secret room, about a couple, couple feet wide, not too wide, it could fit about six adults, uh, they begin hiding Jews in Corey's room. They set up a, uh, a system of, of ringers and bells around the house so that at any point if the Gestapo or the Nazi police were to show up, they would be able to ring the bell. The Jews would go up to the third floor into Corey's closet, into the secret room, and stay as still and as quiet as possible so that the, the, the Gestapo, the Nazi police, would not find the Jews being hidden in Corey's bedroom. So this is going on, and and eventually the Nazis kind of figure out that something is happening at the Ten Boom residence. And so somebody undercover goes to the Ten Boom uh, household and claims to be a Jew needing refuge. This person needing refuge is actually a Nazi informant. 
And so the story goes that in 1944, the entire Ten Boom family was arrested. Ten days after being arrested, Corey's father passes away in a Nazi prison. The entire family is split up, but four Jews and two others survive in the hiding place. And so, uh, so uh, Corey and her sister Betsy are then sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany to be with the rest of the Jews that they were trying to protect. They were betrayed in the process of protecting God's people. When, uh, when Corey's dad was told, do you know that you can be sentenced to death for hiding Jews? He said it would be uh, the honor of a lifetime to save the life of the people chosen of God. So Corey and Betsy are sent to the concentration camp in Germany. These two women are not Jews, but they tried to protect the Jews, and so they were considered as one of the Jews. And uh, in the middle of, of that entire, like if, if you read through some Holocaust history and you, and you do some research about how utterly horrific the conditions were in the concentration camps, it, there's absolutely no way to capture in normal words, the horror of what was happening in the concentration camps. And so Betsy, Corey's sister, passes away in December of 1944 in the concentration camp. And shortly before her death, it's quoted that she told her sister Corey, there is no pit deep enough that God's love does not reach deeper still. These women are sitting in a concentration camp after having done the will of God to protect the people of God. And here they are seemingly being punished for doing the right thing. Have you ever felt like that was like kind of something that you faced? And I know there's no comparison between what they faced and what any of us have ever faced. But, but have you ever felt like you did the right thing and got the wrong treatment for it? Corey and, and Betsy have a story to tell us. And, and so... Corey was eventually released from the Nazi prison camp, from the concentration camp. Shortly after Corey being released, this one being released, she heard news that the reason she was released was due to a small clerical error, and the other women in her group had been sent to the gas chamber shortly after her release. The rest of the women that were with her had perished in the gas chambers, and she was the only one who was released due to a clerical error. Corey Ten Boom is a pioneer for many reasons. And this is within the life, lifetime of my own grandfather. So this is not way long time ago. This is, a, this is a woman who lived not too long ago and exemplifies to us a bravery and a courage. There is nothing like a courageous woman. Come on, women, that was for you. There is nothing like a courageous woman. And... and and, and she was willing to do, this was her grand idea. And in the process of her idea, her father dies, her sister dies, her family is split up. And we, we wonder, why would you take a great risk for little payoff? This morning, I want to consider just five quotes from Corey Ten Boom, five things that she said that shows to us the kind of pioneering spirit that Corey had. The first quote is this. Go ahead and throw that up. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Corey Ten Boom is preaching for days. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Nothing proves our dependence more on Jesus than in those moments where we have nothing else but Jesus. 
Have you ever been in a situation where there is literally no other way out if it weren't by the blood and the name of Jesus Christ? You don't realize that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Because when there is abundance, where there is plenty, where there is blessing, we oftentimes think that it's by the labor, the toil of our own hands that we've accomplished what we have. But when everything is stripped away, we realize that all we have needed, God's hands have provided. It's all because of him and for him and to him. And, and so we don't know that Christ is all we need until Christ is literally everything we got. I want to talk to the person today who's depending upon their job for your identity. The person who's depending upon their spouse for their identity. The person who's depending upon your paycheck for your identity. What happens when all of that gets stripped away? We come to a point of dependency on Jesus where we realize that he is everything we need because he is everything we have. Is your faith dependent upon the circumstances that you're in? Is your, is your dependence on God reliant upon the things that you're going through? Or have you learned the secret of actually depending on God, whether in plenty or in want? I love in Philippians chapter 4, where Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell. And he is saying, I have learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We love that verse. It's on every Hallmark card in, in the Christian bookstores. But we fail to realize that he wrote that sitting in a prison cell. Because hardship should be expected in the life of those who call themselves Christ followers. I, you know, I don't believe in a gospel that promises a bed of roses and promises infinite blessings when you sow a seed of, of $1,000. What I believe is that when we give our life to Christ, what we say yes to is the process that we will also go through. Uh, Corey and Betsy and the entire Ten Boom family said yes to protecting the people of God. And in that process, they themselves got imprisoned. And so I want to ask you the question, what are you willing to go through for the sake of Christ? Are you willing to face persecution? Are you willing to face or stare down injustice? Are you willing, are, are, are you the kind of person who will kind of back away and shy away when hard times come? Or will you depend even harder on Christ? You don't realize that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. I don't know if you've been there. If you've never been there, you'll get there someday. Where there's literally no other way out except through Jesus. Does this quote mean anything to anybody this morning? You don't realize that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Another one of Paul's phrases was that I have nothing, but I possess everything. I love when Paul says that because it means that I can have nothing in my physical hands, but I still have everything I need. Because as long as I have Christ, I have it all. So that means you can be broke as a joke, but still have plenty in Christ. Come on, somebody say amen. That means that you can be sick, but still believe in Christ as a healer. Because sometimes we expect our circumstances to line up with what we have put our faith in Christ for. Have you ever seen a person who is deathly ill, but still does not lose faith in Jesus? That's the kind of faith that says, I have nothing, but I possess everything. Because the thing that we're looking for is not the healing itself or the provision itself. What we need is Jesus. And so when you realize that Christ is all you need, it's because Christ is really the only thing that you have. And when you start putting your trust in people and in places and in things and in professions and in paychecks and in, in circumstances and in presidents and in Congress and in Supreme Court justices and all of that stuff, what we're saying is that, Jesus, I'm relying more upon people than I'm relying upon you. And so when those people go, where does our faith go? Corrie ten Boom is a legend. She's a pioneer. 
Be, and I'm sure she had her bad days. We all have our bad days. Like, I, I'm showing the highlight reel. I'm sure she had struggles. But what I'm talking about is that she mastered the arts of relying on Jesus in the hardest of circumstances. And I want to give you that word of encouragement this week because this may be a week of great trial for you. I'm not prophesying that over your life. I'm just saying that may be the way it is. I'm not saying receive hardship. And she, I'm saying it may well happen. And how we react to tough circumstances is a measure of how great our faith is in Christ. Do you receive that this morning? Christ is all you need because Christ is all you have. Put up quote, quote number two. It says, worry, this is Corey Ten Boom, worry is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at one time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Corey Ten Boom preaches for days. I wish that she was alive to preach this morning. I would have called her up. She passed in the 80s. But worry. Some of us are worry warts. I haven't heard that phrase in a long time, but I'm going to say it again. Some of us are worry. Is it warts? Like W-A-R-T-S? Worry warts. We, we worry about everything. We worry about what may or may not happen. We're going to talk about that a little bit later tonight when we talk about anxiety. We're constantly on the edge of whatever, stress, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, we're, we're worrying. And, and when we worry, what we're saying is that God can't handle our today or our tomorrow. Matthew chapter 6 says, why worry about tomorrow? Let tomorrow worry about itself. What Jesus is saying is whatever's going to happen tomorrow is going to happen tomorrow regardless of whether I'm going to worry about it or not. So you might as well enjoy today because enjoying today is going to make tomorrow a whole lot better. Amen. If you worry today, you're making today bad and tomorrow worse. If you celebrate today, at least you get one out of two happy days. We need to have a culture of celebration. I say it all the time, church is a party. Because I don't believe in church culture where we come in somber, worry, oh, 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 what may Satan do this week? I don't know what Satan may do this week, but I know what God's going to do this week. I'm not going to worry about what he may do. No weapon formed against me shall prosper or remain. I am a son. I am a daughter of the Most High God. I'm not going to worry about it because I know I'm taken care of. When you're worrying about tomorrow, you're draining today of your strength. Oh, I don't, Monday, oh, oh, Tuesday, oh. And you haven't enjoyed Monday or Tuesday because you're worrying about, oh, work, oh, oh. You work like six weeks in a row. The PTO went up like 0.8 hours. And it's like, what is going on? I've been, I'm trying to get a day off. I need a mental health day. That's, that exists now. I need a, a personal day. I need a, I need a this, I need a that. We got to celebrate the day that we're in. In the cubicle, in the bus, on the train, on the ripta. Wherever you're at, you better start celebrating and not worrying because God got you. I'm not saying we're ignoring problems. I'm saying we're looking at problems through a better lens. Is that we're not trying to be ignorant to what's going on around us. But when you are a son, when you're a daughter, you know that you're provided for and cared for. So you don't need to worry about tomorrow. God's got it all taken care of. Somebody say amen. Come on. This is a good word. This is a Joel Osteen word. Live your best life now. Live your best life. We need to worry less and trust more. We need to worry less and trust more. You're going to start gaining strength when you start putting your faith in God and stop putting faith in yourself. You think you're going to get through the week on your own measure. You're not. you got to get through on the strength of God. How do you think a woman like Corey Ten Boom, arrested in her 40s, 
and then sent to a concentration camp. How do you think that she made it? She made it by faith. Not worrying about tomorrow. Letting God take care of the things that are outside of our control. Quote number three says this. There is no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans. God has no problems, only plans. So what does that mean for the child of God? We have no problems. We got plans. That changes everything. When we start realizing that our problems are actually part of God's plan, it helps us look at the problems through the lens of God's will And it takes us all the way to Romans 8, 28, where it says, for I know that all things are working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Even being arrested and thrown into a concentration camp and your sister dying and your dad dying, all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. God can use imprisonment. God can use death. God can use disease. God can use your past. God can use your your, your past sin. God can use anything to give him glory because that's just what God does. God got no problems. God got plans. God got plans, and he has a plan for your life. And God is going to use every single thing that you're facing to demonstrate and reveal to you and through you his will and his purpose and his plan for your life. I want you this morning to be encouraged because none of us have been thrown into a concentration camp that I know of. That I know of. If, if, if so... I stand corrected, but I, 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 I would argue this morning that the things, the trials that we have faced, the bad days that we have gone through pale in comparison to what this lady went through. I'm just taking a leap of faith to say that. And if she can say that, so can I. God got no problems. He only got plans. Plans. And the plans that God has for you are great. I want you to turn to two people and tell them that God's plans for you are great. God's got plans. God's got plans. God's plans are great. God's got no problems. Meaning, God's not surprised when we act like things went wrong. Because when you're omniscient, omniscience is, is the doctrine that God knows everything always. You can't be surprised if you know everything. You know what I mean? It's like when you go into a test and you're not surprised by any questions because you studied. Have you ever looked at a test and you're like, oh my goodness, what is this stuff? You're going through question one, you're like, maybe if I turn the page, things will get better. Break a sweat. Because when you know everything, there's no surprises. So for God, the Holocaust was not a surprise. And, And so the question a lot of times is, where was God during the Holocaust? The same place God was in the Garden of Eden. The same place God was during the crucifixion. The same place God was on 9-11. The same place God was after Election Day. The same place God is this morning, on his throne, in charge. And that's an audacious faith that says that I don't have to control everything to trust in you, Jesus. I can learn the beauty of letting go. I'm gonna kick it to the 98 youth group, let go and let God. I'm gonna let go and I'm gonna let God. 
or this was also a big thing. No, let's just move on. Let's just let go and let God. No, there used to be like these cards at, at Morningstar Christian Bookstore that had frogs on them. And it said, frog, fully rely on God. <laughs> Christian culture, man, is so like just terrible. Frog, fully rely on God. But can we just learn the beauty of relying on God? Just not, not, not work. Some of us, and here's, this is me. This is, this is Shane, Shane talking, not Pastor Shane talking. This is Shane talking. I'm a micromanager. What that means is I like control of the smallest details to the point that I stress out about stuff that's, frankly, silly. And you may judge me, but probably 12 of y'all are the same way. I'm just going by proportions. And so that can, it's a struggle for me to let go of things. It's a struggle for me. That's something that I honestly struggle with is being okay with things not going Shane's way. Because I think Shane's way is the best way. Right? They put that countdown. Started, let, let's just use Sunday mornings, right? Countdown's on. Worship team should be in, in place at a minute, at the minute mark. It's 55 seconds. Where are they? start getting tense. I just got to close my eyes and be in an atmosphere of worship because I'm a micromanager. That's why I do the planning center and go through all the details because I like, and that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because I'm detailed. It's a bad thing because I freak out when things don't go my way. And if that resounds with the 12 of you that are just like me, I want you to just know I'm with you and that we're going to make it. We just have to learn to let go of some things. Because you know what? The sun's going to come up tomorrow morning, even if it doesn't go my way. You just got to live. And then there's other people that are like, oh, whatever. The sun's going to rise tomorrow. Who cares what time they? And, and that's the other extreme, right? Some of y'all, that, that, some of y'all are just like, whoa, what? beauty, glory, peace, and love. Let's get into this middle ground where it's like planned but beautiful. And God's just doing his thing. I want you to. This may sound like a mess of a sermon, but I think that this is resounding with somebody who's stressed out because you, you need to learn the beauty of letting go. Letting go and letting God, fully relying on God. Quote number four, put this on here. If you look at the world, this is good. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. Anybody who's watched CNN for 10 seconds can testify to that. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If anybody's ever been depressed, you know that. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Come on, Corey, preach it, girl. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look at within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. What a woman. What a woman. Man, like, she was, look at that. You watch the news for any segment of time, and you will be distressed. It's bombs going off here. It's this going off there. It's this terrorist group. It's this this political thing, it's this bill that's not passing and shutting down the government for the eighth time in two weeks. It's, it's this and that and the other. And we're all trying to figure out the secret to a, a, a beautiful world. And then we're looking within and getting depressed because we don't have the answers to the world's problems. And Corey's over here preaching to us this morning in February 2018 and saying, look at God and you'll learn what it's like to be at rest. I love to sleep. I know you do too. And I, man, there's nothing better than just resting in Jesus. Just rest in Jesus. 
Rest in Jesus. Let the, how can a woman sit in a concentration camp at be, and be at rest? It doesn't make sense. But when you look at God, impossible things all of a sudden become reality. A, a place that should not include any kind of rest becomes a place of rest because wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is rest. I know the verses there is freedom, but there is also rest. There is rest. There, there is peace. There is, there is calm. And, and this morning, that's what maybe some of you need this morning is you're stressed out. You're stressed. You're over here tense, just like thinking about what you need to do after you get out of church. You're like, I hope he finishes because I got to go. I, I, I'm going to talk to you for a little bit more because you need to calm yourself. Actually, you don't calm yourself because you're never going to calm yourself. You got to let God calm you. We got to be at rest, at rest. We're stressed out. I've never been more stressed than when I was in school. I praise God every day that I'm out of school. School's stressful. Anybody with me on that? Because it's the only thing that you, you don't leave school ever. You leave the class, there's like a thousand things more to do afterwards. I'd rather work every day of my life than go back to school. But stay in school. <laughs> stay in school, y'all. Stay in school. Stay in school. Stay in school. But it's that kind of stress that's just like, oh, my goodness, it's this, the syllabus. Oh, my goodness. Syllabus. Syllabus is stressed embodied. Oh, 90% of this course is group work. Withdraw. Like, <laughs> yeah, what am I doing? Dropping classes. I used to do it. I used to sign up for like seven. Go to all of them and then drop my least, my least favorites. That way I felt like I was still in control. Micromanager. But we need to learn to be at rest. The fifth and final quote, and this is, a long one, so it may be hard for you to read. But this, was, this happened in 1947. Corey had been released from the concentration camp. And she had gone back to Germany in 1947 to preach at a church. And she was preaching on the topic of forgiveness. In the crowd was one of the Nazi police that had been a guard at the same concentration camp that her and Betsy were held at. This is, this is her quote from that experience. She says, even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, because she's seeing a guy that had been overseeing her in a concentration camp, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives us, along with the command, the love itself. He gives us, along with the command to love our enemies, the love itself. And, 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 and there's this article that she wrote where she is describing the experience of this, this Nazi officer coming to her in that church and saying, Corey, since that experience, I've become a Christian. I'm asking for you to forgive me. And she says it was a struggle for her to take her hand and shake the hand of the officer that's asking for her forgiveness. But when we're reminded of what Christ has forgiven in our lives, who are we to not extend forgiveness to those who need it from us? 
Because when Jesus commands us to love our enemies, he is not saying to give them something that belongs to us because God is love. God is love. So with the command to love our enemies, God also gives us the love that we need to be able to extend forgiveness to those who need it most. So this morning, Corey's a pioneer because she saved Jews, and Corey's a pioneer because she came up with all these great things to say. But most importantly, Corey's a pioneer because she forgave. Because she forgave somebody in her life who was the definition of unforgivable. And this morning, I want to talk to the person who is sitting in here and is feeling that resentment, that bitterness towards somebody. Maybe somebody in your family, somebody at your job, a friend of yours maybe that you have a strange relationship with, and you haven't been able to forgive that person. Forgiveness is pioneering because forgiveness is not natural. Forgiveness does not come normal to somebody, but it is only something that can be given by God. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the fact that when we forgive somebody, what we're doing is doing what Jesus did for us. What Jesus did for us. This morning, if you need to forgive somebody, just do it. Forgiveness releases you more than it releases the person you're forgiving. Forgiveness heals you more than the person that you're extending forgiveness to. And so today, I want to give God praise that he forgave me. He forgave me when I was unforgivable. I was the one who deserved to die. I was the one who who had sinned and fallen short of his glory. But because of what he did for me on the cross, he proved his love for me. And he showed me that I am no longer a slave. I am a son of God. I have been forgiven. I have been washed. And he throws my sins into the sea of forgetfulness. This morning, if you're far away from God, that gift is for you. God wants to forgive you. But also, if you're sitting here and you haven't forgiven somebody, God wants to give you that love so that you can extend forgiveness to someone else. Could you stand up with me across this place? I want to pray for you.